0: Hello, welcome to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. I'm Susie Colic, the creator of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense, a self-empowerment program through self-defense. I'm a storyteller, a violent crime survivor, and a martial artist. I've used these experiences to develop a program that's tailored for the way women actually learn, the things we actually face, and that's actually fun. Well, I think it's fun. We do, too. These are some of our Pretty Deadly Self-Defense certified trainers.
1: Hi, I'm Serena. Hi, I'm Shelby. And I'm Marilise.
0: They're in LA, and I'm in Berlin, and there are a lot of miles between us. So what do you do if there isn't a Pretty Deadly Self-Defense course near you?
2: Well, we put some basic techniques in an app. Which you can download from our website, prettydeadlyselfdefense.com. But we thought it would also
3: be a good idea to take some of the self-defense questions we're most frequently asked and put it in a podcast.
0: Welcome to the Pretty Deadly Self Defense Podcast.
1: We're on season four, episode fifty-nine, and this week we're going to talk about participating in a protest. So, um, just to kind of introduce this, I I do want to kind of give a little bit of background why this kind of popped in my head. Actually, in college. I was what's called a peacekeeper Um, back in the seventies. They used to call us marshals. And uh, what we did was it was our job to protect protesters from counter protesters. That's pretty much what we did. And so when a protest was set up, there would be several of us on the perimeter of the protest um, looking out for uh, the protesters and for anybody who was trying to start fights because that of course would always happen. Um, And so when it comes to this, this, this really kind of popped in my head because it, there's a lot of self-defense that you do when you have that role. Um, and there's a lot of kind of tricky situations you get into because it's not quite as clear cut, whereas it, you're getting into a situation with the police, although some of us actually would talk to the police. Um, it, you're talking to just citizen or citizen and it's kind of like Facebook, except people are yelling at
0: each other in real time. So, I think, you know, protests, there's a really, really, really long history of protests, self-defense, which actually I think has a specific term that I don't know, but, but I do think that there is a specific term. I know that there's a, this was recorded, um, self-defense techniques were recorded in, in, is sort of like the manuals and the training manuals for the suffragettes. And remember the suffragettes, especially in England, were super violent. You know, they were always setting fire to stuff and they they really resisted arrest a lot. And um and they had a whole protocol for what they were doing. And throughout history, I think from I would say from the time of the suffragettes, there has been like specific forms of self-defense for protesters. Which I think is really fascinating, because a lot of things that protesters do to defend themselves are exactly what we do as well, and pretty deadly. Only we have slightly different scenarios. So especially when we're defending ourselves from a group, um, some of those things would be really similar. I think when uh, one of the things that that comes to mind about um, protest self-defense. And one of my favorite things, because it's the easiest thing in the world to do is hooking arms. So this was, you can see this in photos of protests of the, from the 1960s, the protesters would lock, would kind of like hook their arms at the elbows, but with their fists up. So you don't hook your arms with your elbows out and parallel to the ground. The elbows are next to your side. You you know you kind of like squeeze the elbows into your ribs, and so that your hands should be pointed up to the sky. And you guys know that when your hands are up like this, it's very 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 hard to pull somebody's hand down. So this would create these really really strong chains, and this is a really great way for protesters to also stay safe today. In in especially the protests of the last couple of years, um, and this year specifically. The, the countermeasures for protests have gotten really violent. Um, deadly, of course, as we know. So protesters these days, I think, are taking more precaution in the sense of getting like Kevlar vests and some, some body armor that they're wearing. But I think one of the first things to do if you're in a protest and things get really chaotic or out of hand is to protect your vital organs by <clears throat> by bringing your arms into your sides you remember all our all our vital organs are in the middle of our bodies so to close up around that middle and keep everything close is it would be one of my first first uh points of self-defense in a protest
1: i think i would add that um um uh, As far as the violence that's currently happening, um, it seemed like we kind of had a little interlude of not as much violence, but there was quite a bit of violence, especially in the 70s with protesting. Um, You know, uh, it's, you know, they would release dogs on them. Um, So it's just, it's kind of a different, I feel like nowadays, even from when I protested in college, things are different. Like there's things you have to worry about now that you didn't have to worry about then. Like now you have to make sure you've turned off face um, uh, face notification, you know, face password protection on your phone or finger password protection on your phone. You have to make yeah. sure your stuff's encrypted. You have to make sure that, you know, like you have that or there's apps that will start recording stuff when you feel you're in trouble. Um, there's just a lot of different dynamics now. And I feel especially like right, right now, at least in the U S dealing with things like counter protesters or people coming to beat the shit out of you after the protest is over is very common. Whereas when I was doing it,
2: that wasn't as common. I've told, so I've talked with a couple of people about um, protesting right now, especially they want to get more involved with protesting. And usually I like to let them know that they should have an escape plan. Um, you know, have somebody or a place location nearby that's not within the protest route or within the guidelines. And if, you know, everything goes sideways and you are in the middle of a crowd and it's really hard to get out, you might lose each other if you're with other people. Um, it could just happen. It's panic, everything's rushing around. And so it's a good idea to have that like place to get to. If you can think, okay, let me escape the crowd and then I'll get to that place, then that's a really good way to, um, you know, not panic so much and not just go, oh my God, I don't know what to do. Everything's chaotic. You want to think like, hey, let me get out of this really terrible situation. Then I'll get to the place that I need to go. And it helps to have that game plan. But I also like to tell people too, you know, yes, protesting is an amazing thing to do. But if it's also one of the least useful things that you can do, protesting by itself is never enough you have to call your Senate. It's more effective for change to call your senators, write letters, um, donate to organizations that are actively like the ACLU, trying to make sure that there are rights out there. So if there's ever a protest where you don't feel you're going to have a good time, or not good time, but like, you're not going to be safe if you go there. There was one in college that, um, you know, we were protesting the take down the flag after the Charleston massacre. And about a week later, we had for some reason, somebody let both the Black Panthers and the KKK schedule a pro- simultaneous protests on the same day in the state grounds.
0: That's not for some reason. <laughs>
2: well, yeah. <laughs> but it was basically... That was-
0: that was that was on purpose. Cheryl. Yes.
2: So, um, someone thought it was a fantastic idea to do that, and I went to every protest except for those. You know, like stay. the yeah, there, way from that one.
1: There's definitely higher risk protests. Although I would argue that that visually seeing people protest in the streets actually is a big deal. It um, is helpful. You, you have to, to knowing, do multiple things.
2: Right. But, yeah. But it's also you know if you're going to choose between going to a really high risk protest or doing something that's you know, also impactful, but maybe more so in another way, like protesting is the bare minimum. Um, so if there's a really high risk protest for you to go to that, you don't feel like going to just do something else. Donate. Yeah. I think,
1: I think bottom line with that is that if you have a bad feeling about any of the things you're going to do not go, (laughs) Like, just yeah. listen to that, and there don't. are other options <laughs> yeah. yeah
3: right and just a but, list but, of but, letters that Shelby was talking about I a lot of people I know are resistant to do that, and part of it is uh, they don't want to send in these form letters because they feel like it doesn't get read or whatever, but I worked in government systems for a couple of years, and I can honestly say doesn't matter Form letters, personal letters they're all counted and they do add up and there's a we, we read it. There's a system and we count them and it pulls together and that's how decisions are made and influenced. We don't look so much at the size of the protest group. We'll look at it as a, well, that's an interest point. We should take it into account and start considering it. But if there aren't letters to back it up, and they have to be letters from your constituents. They can't be letters if you're from California, from a Texas district. We don't count those. But if they're from your district, that's when the changes then will start. So the protest doesn't do it. The protest brings it to your attention.
0: Right. I I think that these are really good points, but I'd like to back up to something that Shelby said about um, being in a protest when suddenly everything goes sideways and it's chaotic. So the thing is, is we can give all the advice in the world we want about, you know, there's more effective ways to make change if you have a bad feeling, don't go, all of these things. But people are still going to join protests, and especially right now in these massive changes around the world, and people want to feel like they're a part of it. And that's important, too, actually. So I think that what you're saying is – well, I'll back myself up for a second. During the height of the Black Lives Matter protests um, in the United States, there was a lot of information – being shared across the interwebs on Twitter, on Instagram, on sites I'm sure I never even discovered, which were actually compilations of um, advice for protesters, not only to wipe your data, to make sure that digitally you're safe, to, to make sure that the facial recognition technology will not be able to read your face, to talk about the kinds of shoes you wear, the kinds of clothes you need to wear. All of these things, having a, leaving your, your personal identification someplace safe. Um. These massive, cons- and also what to do if you get hit by a rubber bullet, what to do with tear gas, or if you suspect there will be tear gas at the protest, how to protect against that. So there's, there's an enormous amount of information, a lot of information that was compiled from the Hong Kong protesters as well, to use some of their protest tactics that were so successful, especially against dealing with modern-day surveillance technology. But... It still all boils down to that one point when the whole thing goes sideways and you're suddenly going, what happened? So having a backup plan, or rather not a backup plan, having an escape route already planned is fantastic. Go over it in your mind several times. But I would also train yourself, if you can, to take a few moments so that you can train your reaction when things go, get really out of hand. So somebody shows up with live ammunition, tanks roll in, dogs are released, whatever it is, you have no idea what's going on. It's very, very confusing. There's input coming from all over the place. How can we get ourselves very quickly, very calm and focused so you can switch over to that escape plan because that's what you want to do. I would also say that in these situations, um, unless it doesn't pose a massive risk to you, I would say it's not a matter of like, you know, leave no one behind because the point of these kinds of disruptions is to make everyone scatter. And when you stay to grab other people and help them get out that's very noble, but that can also end up hurting both of you. So just as on an airplane, when they say, like, you know, put your put your mask on before you help somebody else, I would say that that would apply to these situations as well. There is a form of, um, I don't know what it is, dream therapy or something. I have no idea what it's called. Somebody taught this to me years ago because sometimes I have lucid dreams. But... You know, when you have, like, if you have lucid dreams, that can be totally cool sometimes. And other times you're like, it's not cool and it's kind of a nightmare, but you still can't wake up or you're not really sure if you're dreaming. So she taught me this really great thing. She said, before you go to sleep every night, look at the palms of your hands and look at the backs of your hands for like five minutes, you know, palms, backs, palms, backs, and repeat to yourself for five minutes. When I see my hands, I'll know I'm dreaming this actually works in a dream state. You know, so like if you're kind of confused, you're having a nightmare and you're like, oh, I need it to stop. If you've practiced this, this works in your dreams. It's, it's really super cool. I would suggest doing something very similar to prepare for a moment when things get completely chaotic. Obviously, you don't want to say, if I see my hands, I know I'm dreaming because now you're just going to confuse yourself even more. But... We can use words like, if I see my hands, like look at your hands so that you have something. And this is actually true in any chaotic situation. Look at your hands, look at a point on your body, look at a point in the landscape, although that might be harder in a very chaotic situation. Find one point of focus and focus on that. I would say use your own body because you know where everything is. So even if there's a lot of smoke you know from tear gas and everything you can if you can't look you can feel feel your hands so that you make a connection and for one second you can come together so you can switch over to that escape plan that's really important otherwise you're just kind of moving around as chaotic as your environment which is the point when those when those situ- when those protests or any situation like that is being disrupted it's the same thing in a terrorist situation You know, when a terrorist leaves a bomb in a marketplace, the idea is not necessarily to kill people. It's to create chaos. Right. And fear. So when protests are disrupted in this way, it's the exact same function. And that's a whole nother conversation about terrorism and protests.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think there's two. And I think that touches on one of the two scenarios that might happen. Uh, in an instance when you're at a protest the other is uh, when um, someone who is either a counter protester or there to just make chaos decides to uh, pick a fight with you which I've seen quite a few videos of it happening Um, right now on both sides um, I not necessarily Black Lives Matter but um, with the manga group and with um, even like people who have been part of women's marches You know, what to do in those kinds of scenarios uh, because that's another aspect to it. Because, like, the protest itself might have gone great, but then the walk home,
0: the walk to your car might be where things go sideways. Just because the protest is over doesn't mean you're safe. So, and I think that we, uh, and that leads, I think, uh, it's relatable to kind of everyday self defense, you know, in the sense of, you know, just because you're, I don't like using fear to, to teach or to, to to sow seeds of fear towards people. And I don't want people to feel like you always have to be in this paranoid, heightened sense of, of readiness. But you're not automatically safe just because you're home. You know, you're not automatically safe just because the protest is over. You know, and I think your point, Serena, is a really important one that – the protest may be officially over, but it's not over until you're actually home. And, and, and I'll relate that again to self-defense in that um, when I first started learning about self-defense statistics, you know, as I started developing pretty deadly, you know, the, the common statistic right now is one in three women in the world have experienced some kind of violence, And my argument was always, you do not know if you will not be one of those one in three women until the moment you die, until the moment you are laying on your deathbed and looking back over your life and saying, well, I never experienced gender-based violence. So we don't want to live our lives in a heightened state of paranoia. But at the same time, we also want to know that this is always a reality. And in this sense with protests, you don't want to say like, well, the protest is over. I guess I'm okay. Well, meanwhile, some like, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse character is running up behind you to whack you on the back of the head because they want to pick a fight.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think there's different, there's definitely a different versions of what might happen i mean there's the one you're touching on which is generally you have to pay attention to what's going on around you the second is that you just went to a protest therefore you've put yourself out there as having a particular viewpoint and other people who who seriously disagree with that are may or or will pick a fight with you when you're walking away from that protest um and then there's also the groups of people who which is what i saw what happened with the some of the washington protests with manga there were groups of black lives matter people who picked fights with manga people who were walking back home you know back to their cars and i want to say in those particular scenarios where you're getting a when someone's picking a fight with you because of a viewpoint there are actually um just like you would be in self-defense as you're walking your car and having a physical assault. Those people a lot of times aren't necessarily trying to escalate to a physical assault, but they do want to fight. And um, those become more, more verbal. And I can tell you from having to be in the middle of protesters and counter protesters, one of the first things that you can do to kind of de-escalate that that is to listen and to agree yeah, so not, not necessarily to, to sit there and argue your point or fight. If something's heated, you're uncomfortable, you don't want it to go that way, agree with them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it brings it down. It really does. And um, yeah, you have a viewpoint. Yeah, you want to be out there and protesting. But at that point, that's done. You've gotten people to look at it. But if you want to actually have conversations with individuals who are really having a problem with what you're doing, you either need to have a thoughtful conversation or you need to de-escalate it.
0: I would recommend de-escalation. Yeah. And that's that's a really common de-escalation technique that a lot of people learn, especially when they're working in mental wards of hospitals. I guess you can't say that anymore, psychiatric wards. Mm-hmm. Um, where people are, where it's more likely for people to become... Violent in very unreasonable and unlikely ways. One of the very first things that people are taught is to simply agree, to repeat and agree. And you can really use this advice in almost any situation where someone is kind of out of their head with rage. You know, I see that, you know, yes, I agree with you that blah, 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 blah. So you don't want to repeat things back to people in a mimicking way because that's irritating. You know, like, you don't want to be like, yes, you said you want to go to the car. I just said that. But, but you do want to repeat backs to show that you understand and you want to agree with them. Yes, you're absolutely right. And de escalation, I think, in that those, those things are important. I mean, I think a lot of this also has to do with the ego, you know, in, in the sense of like understanding you want to, it, it this can be applied to so many things, but in the context of protests, you know, you went to a protest to make a point. The protest is over. The point was made. And now this behavior is finished. So yes, there might be people running up behind you because they just want to fight, but your point of protest is done. Your job is done. Now it's your job to keep yourself safe so you can protest again. You know, and in that way, de-escalation is the best way to handle it.
2: And I think, you know, the people who are coming, it may feel awful to say, yes, you're right. You know, especially when you just got done protesting something completely different and maybe very emotional or heavy for you. But at the end of the day, I always try and do, even just on Facebook or when talking to people, is I try and assess whether or not they are open to hearing what I even have to say. And chances are, if this is a person who said, oh, look, there's a protest that I really disagree with. I'm going to go there and I'm going to tell them no. You know, I'm going to go there and I'm going to explain, I'm going to approach a protester and explain why they are wrong. That person has gone out of their way. They've made it a huge issue for themselves. They are not likely to listen to you. You're not going to change their hearts and minds. Most likely, if they come up to you and they say, hey, I have some questions or I don't know if I feel this, you know, but if they come up and they say, you're wrong, this is why, here's how I feel about the situation, you know, and they're not leaving any room for argument, then yeah, deescalate it. Just say, yes, you're right. Because chances are, you're not going to change their mind. You're not going to influence them in the way that they need to be influenced.
1: Yeah, definitely. If you're not in a place for that. But I would say there is one thing that I have seen happen is that when you let them get out the pain that they're feeling, when you let them get to arrive to what it is that's going on with them, why they feel that way, usually you can actually have a conversation with them. So if you do want to engage, you know, it's better to let them go through the the energy of working through that pain to get to that point.
0: Yeah, that I'm going to, I mean, if that's something people want to do, that's great. But I personally don't think it's anyone's responsibility to be therapists to the rest of the world, especially women. It's, it's, it's a, uh, I personally don't feel any obligation whatsoever to let someone get to their pain. Fuck you. You know, I, I've had to figure shit out on my own and so do you. I don't walk up to people and tell them that they're wrong for being the way they are, the way they believe, or, and, and then, and then extract violence upon them because I don't like what they stand for or whatever. I figured that out they can figure that out too. That's not my job to sit there and listen. And I mean, I guess, but, and, and I don't mean fuck you to you, Sarita. Uh, yeah, no, I, mean, I know. <laughs> but in, in, the, in the sense of like, you know, it's, it's, it's my right as a protester. It's my, and it, especially whether it's in the United States, in Germany, you're allowed to protest in France. You're allowed to protest, not in every country in, in the world, but in places where you are allowed legal protests, that is your right as a citizen of that country. And if somebody wants to come up to you afterwards and pick a fight or tell you that you're wrong, you know, they have free will, they can do that. But I'm exercising my right as a citizen to protest and to express my opinion. And you can express that as well in your own protests. I don't need to help you feel better. Uh, I don't you know if, to, you know, I don't know if I entirely agree with that.
1: Um, I think mostly because it's not about being a therapist. It's about if you care, if you're actually trying to get something out, you're trying to talk to people on the other side, you do kind of have to let them go through that. Um, and I think that when it comes to protests, like you're putting yourself out there as someone who has that, that opinion and someone who wants to talk about that opinion. And the thing that I, I see as problematic a lot of times is when people are just screaming their opinion to the rooftops and being like, Well, this is how I feel, too bad, ta da, take it you know. Um, it doesn't work on either side, I think.
0: Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course, or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Kolick, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week.